Welcome to Deconstructing Directing, a new paradigm manifesto, the podcast version. This is episode four, The Connectedness of Trauma. My name is Andrew Robler, the creator of Deconstructing Directing and a white, queer, non-binary, neurodivergent theater artist in Houston, Texas. Today's episode is an audio recording of our latest blog post entitled The Connectedness of Trauma. I'm excited to announce that I'll be launching interviews soon on this very podcast, and I'm looking for diverse directors who would like to share their experience and talk about the field of theatrical directing with me. For more information on that, please see the link in the show notes. Additionally, follow the link on the show notes to sign up for our email list and get access to our new private Facebook group discussing the work of deconstructing directing. Theater is sacred to me, and I know that I'm not alone. There are so, so many theater artists that feel a deep connection to the art form. We have to, honestly, because it's far from easy. Yes, the dedicated attention of an audience also calls to many, but you have to wonder that if that is someone's motivation, why would they choose theater? It is under or unpaid for the vast majority of gigs. It requires a large number of man hours to prepare for. It is over in between three days and a month or so, most places that aren't Broadway or off-Broadway, and is geographically limited, unlike film, music, YouTube, Instagram, or Twitch. There are no such things as close-ups, though this is changing somewhat with the integration of video design, and you're almost always sharing the stage with dozens of people who are much better than you at this step or that move. Not the best way to be seen. So the people that stick it out in every arena of theater, from educational and community theater all the way to Broadway, are more often than not true believers. They've been bit by the bug, as they say, and their connection deepens because of it. So theater is sacred. It is sacred because of who it draws in and the stories they have to share. It is sacred because it is one of the earliest acts of telling story in community. And it is sacred because the theater community is connected. Ask an artist who has moved to a new city. Maybe they were super involved in their local community theater, but now they have no connections. With exceptions for extremely clicky theaters, of which I'm sure there are more than a few, that person will be welcomed into the fold, especially if they're willing to participate in a variety of ways. Similarly, that artist will find familiarity in the act of telling stories communally and theatrically, even if things are done a bit differently here than they were at their last theater. The language of the theater, for instance. Upstage, downstage, stage left, stage right, watch out for the psych, make sure we put out the ghost light, he missed his cue, and on and on. So much shared vocabulary. The reality is that very few performers beyond the community theater level work in only one theater their entire lives. And in a market with multiple community theaters, there's an even higher likelihood that there is crossover and movement of artists between them, even at the community theater level. So this shared language is vital to help facilitate that cross-pollination. Artists aren't having to learn multiple sets of stage directions and terms to be able to work for multiple theaters. But unfortunately, not everything we all have in common is positive. For artists who have a passion for telling stories, we sure are bad at communicating with one another on the whole. Gossip especially drives wedges between artists without legitimate cause and often based on poor assumptions and fragile egos. Those damaged relationships move with the artists, changing their working relationships temporarily or permanently, and it may all be occurring completely outside the eye of other artists. Likewise, theater shares language around problematic directors and leadership. Yeah, he's just like that, you'll get used to it. 
She only yells sometimes, and she's just so brilliant. No, I think you misinterpreted that. He would never touch someone like that maliciously. Did you hear the way the director was screaming at David last night after rehearsal? He quit the show today, so stay out of the director's way. I know that these experiences aren't unique to me because they're not all mine. And not every theater has toxicity or drama, to be sure, but in the same way that one rotten apple spoils the whole batch, so do the theaters where this behavior is allowed to exist and perpetuate stereotypes negatively impact all of theater. A story. I'm a director who works to empower actors in their bodies and minds during rehearsal. I often run a scene for the first time just asking them to move as they feel like they should. With new actors working this way, things are very stiff at first, but they eventually begin to loosen up and start to live in their body. I will often encourage them to just make a choice. It's not binding, and you can make a different choice next time. Normally, this is enough support that they can begin to do that. But one day after a rehearsal early in the life of my theater company, I had an actor tell me that she had been in a theater program with directors and teachers that would often tell her that she was making the wrong choice and would sometimes raise their voice in frustration because she didn't get it. She had experienced verbal abuse. Yes, raising your voice is only acceptable when you are trying to be heard over loud noise or when someone's safety is at risk. Otherwise, it is verbal abuse from an adult in a position of authority. So it was completely reasonable that her mind and body had developed a fight or flight response to the idea of being asked to make a choice in our rehearsal process. The harmful behavior of some directors in some rehearsal rooms affects all of us who work in the theater. Because even if we didn't experience it, those that have often develop trauma responses and psychologically unhealthy and closed off coping mechanisms that will affect their work and their relationships with their fellow artists. Us. Of course, the fact that our fellow artists are experiencing trauma at all should be motivation to speak up and actively work to ensure that they and the artists that come after them do not have to experience that moving forward. The image that I chose for this blog post on our website is evocative with the appearance of blood. But if we are aghast at someone physically beating another person, why is a psychological beating any more acceptable simply because there's no visible blood? Something has to change. Our field, the field of directing as a whole, has to professionalize and step up to the plate. We are often seen as the leader of the theatrical unit, so we need to act like it and get our house in order before we can truly support the changes necessary elsewhere in the world of theater. We owe it to ourselves, each other, and all of the artists we get to work with throughout our careers. Coming up next, I'm going to outline the paradigm manifesto that I have developed so far, but it's not the end of the conversation, it's simply a starting point. I hope you'll subscribe on our main blog page and follow along as we have that conversation. 